Hello and welcome to the 65th episode of D-Kai, Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. I am your host, Joel, and please pardon the slightly scuffed opening. We've got everything up and running now, and we have a very fun episode today. A bit of a spoilery episode if you're not familiar with the content, but uh, if you don't mind spoilers, then I think we're going to have a good time. We only have one other co-host today, but that's okay because it is somebody who is going to be just jamming with me on our particular topic, and that is from the town of Frangiville in the greater city of Frangiopolis, uh, down the uh, highway from Frangiburg. We're going to get this all plotted out. We're hiring a uh, cartographer. Don't worry about it, folks. Frangi. Hello, pardon my air conditioner hum today. It is hot. Um, it's that I time of year. Actually, <laughs> I was actually talking to Neo Ivan about Frangiland that is now created, and he told me that he was imagining it as a mix of Rivendell and the Shire. Ooh. And that just blew my mind because I was like, that is not how I was picturing it because I figure it's mostly in my imagination. It doesn't have to resemble where I really live. And I was thinking of it as like a mix of San Francisco from Big Hero 6 okay. and like the amusement park from near automata Ooh, okay that's <laughs> i like this yeah, yeah book your so, vacation to frangiville today yeah might be a little scary sometimes but um it's there there's stuff yes definitely not the shire <laughs> mm -hmm. but you can have second breakfast if you want and all that so and that's really all that matters in the end yeah so frangi uh have you had a chance to watch anything from the new season yet I have not. I have not even finished up the old season, except for the show that we're going to talk about today. I, I don't know what happens at the end of Fruits Basket. I'm not caught up with To Your Eternity or My Hero or anything, and I definitely haven't had time to watch new stuff now. Oh, boy. Well, you have stuff to look forward to. Um, you were away for a couple weeks, so you missed the uh, week, or sorry, the um, season preview podcast that we did. A lot of fun stuff coming up this season, things that are of particular relevance to you. Uh, Slime Season 2 Part 2 continues. Slime! We also have Season 2 of My Next Life as a Villainess. Mm. And of ones that would be of particular interest to you, I don't know if there's anything else that really jumps out at me. One show that I've seen the premiere of that I very much enjoyed is The Detective is Already Dead. The You mentioned that in the chat. Just the title kind of grabs me like, what? <laughs> yeah, so the, the premise of this show is that a detective meets her assistant and they spend several years solving crimes and doing just wonderfully together and then the detective is killed. Uh-huh. So the detective is literally already dead and now it is going to be the story of the assistant and seeing, all right, what is he able to do on his own but also it sounds like there's going to be stuff and revelations related to how did the detective die. And there was a lot of stuff in the uh, first episode. It was actually a double-length one that was really good that has me hooked, that the the dialogue is just very snappy, the visuals are good. It feels like Haruhi meets Hyoka. I don't remember. Uh, it was Emmy who suggested Hyoka for me. I don't think that's one you've seen. Basically, imagine Haruhi Suzumiya but mystery stuff. At least that's the vibe I'm getting from episode one, and it was really good, so might want to check that out. Uh, I watched a couple other premieres, 
uh, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid Season 2 is back, which, you know, heralds the return of KyoAni to active anime production, which is very, very nice, obviously, after their understandable two-year hiatus. But mm. in general, uh, you know, it's that time of year again where we have lots of premieres coming out, so lots of fun things to see. But for That's today, we're going to be talking about something from last season, and it's something that you and I pretty much every week were just like, hey, have, have you watched it? Are you caught up? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's kind of convenient that Mario and Emmy are out, because if they were here, we would probably spend maybe five minutes bouncing back and forth about it during the intro, and then have to move on, because obviously... If not everyone on the show has seen it, we can't just exclude someone like that. But since they're both busy, I was like, hey, Franji, do you want to just, you know, talk Moriarty for an hour? Yes, Moriarty the Patriot is something I would gladly talk about for an hour. And now we can because there's nobody here to want to talk about other things. So it all works out and we can be nerds. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I haven't actually spoken to you at any length regarding the finale all i've seen from you is just spamming ah in our group chat <laughs> yes i think the last time i was i was at you like did you see it yet did you see it was the second was the second to last stuff with whitely oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the white knight stuff oh my god um I mean, I don't know where to start. Overall, generally, I I had figured out probably halfway through the second half of um, the second halfway through the second core. It's called the core, right? Now, yeah. nowadays, core um, season. You know, same difference. So halfway through the second core, I figured out where the show had to go and what Sherlock would have to do at the end. But I didn't know how he was going to do it, and it still surprised me the methods he used even though thinking about a lot of code geass things it shouldn't have surprised me some of the things that he ended up saying to william to do to accomplish the end that he did yeah um but so so i'm just trying to say i wasn't disappointed even though i had predicted a lot of it which does not always happen it's either i have no idea what's coming and it totally surprises me or it's like your lie in april i predict the entire thing and all the emotional stuff is gone because i'm like yeah i guessed every bit of that mm -hmm. um this was this was a nice mix of the two it was like a pleasant surprise like yeah I guess that, but I didn't guess it would happen that way, so wow. Yeah, and the thing that sort of got both of us earlier on in the season was the fact that we were both saying, you know, we could see this going the Code Geass route where William and the brothers Moriarty set themselves up to be villains even though we see that their intentions at least are benevolent, even if their methods may not be, and... We were like, okay, so maybe that's sort of the end game, and we'll have a Code Geass-esque twist. And then about halfway through the season, they just spell it all out in the big scene with Mycroft, which I think is honestly one of the best scenes in the series. Just so from, good. first off, the room it was in was super cool. The presentation yes. of it all was really neat, and the bit of flashbacks of, you know, all right, we're weaving in this historical stuff of, okay, there's actually family history between Moriarty and Holmes, and... It sort of caught both of us off guard where we were like, whoa, wait a minute. We were thinking this type of revelation might come in the end game, but they're now just spelling it all out and saying, yes, this is our end game. And the thing is, in this type of series, if you spell out this is our end game, that means it can't be that simple. 
Yes. Yes, exactly. That means it can't happen. So I was like, okay, so then Sherlock has to do the opposite. He's going to have to save them instead. But like, how? And then, ah, uh, and then I had also expected all three of the brothers to be in it together and all have a plan to die. So when William kind of turned that on its head and was like, JK, now no, it, it's die just me. I'm so ready for it. <laughs> hmm? Yeah, that it, that was one of the first things to fall past that of just, it seemed, okay, all three of them are going to set themselves up to fall, but you sort of were getting the feeling that uh, William was like, no, this is my sword to fall on. You two, uh, I'm trying to be the good person and leave you two and just take it all for myself, but the other two were like, no, no, you can't just do that to us, bro. You can't do that. We're either all going or like <laughs> we're going to save you too because you can't just let us live and think that one, we're not going to live without, you know, massive guilt for all this or right. just a, yeah. So they had that to untangle and then there was the obvious relation with Sherlock and how does he become involved? To what degree is he aware of his involvement and to what degree is he agreeable in his involvement? Oh my God! The whole Milverton thing. How he got rid of Milverton? Yeah, I that did not that one made that. me audibly gasp when he just me went too. and was like, "Okay, we're." I knew Milverton had to die some way somehow. Obviously, just he's I gonna go. Not expected to be Sherlock. No, I William would be faster because William's whole thing was, "Okay, I have to keep Sherlock as the good guy." So I thought William would just shoot him, so Sherlock wouldn't. But Sherlock, I that that blew my mind for like three weeks. So, yeah. Um, I liked Sherlock being like, your plans are not going to go how you want them to go, Liam. Sorry. Uh, and then so you find out in the episode after that that he gets himself arrested specifically so that he can't catch the Lord of Crime. And it's only Mycroft being like, well, you actually accidentally committed the perfect crime. So you're going to be, you know, released from jail. Yeah. I guess you have to catch the Lord of Crime. And Oops. Sherlock's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was the other thing of just the fact that. Sherlock was thinking so far ahead that he started to realize what Moriarty was doing and was yeah. like, okay, I will take myself out of the equation because I'm not inherently opposed to what you are doing. Yeah. And then, so, oh, speaking of not being opposed to it, right, you have Louise and Fred who show up to, like, beg Sherlock to save William. And it's almost like Louise thinks um, that he's going to have to, like, strong-arm Sherlock into it or something because he comes ready to, like, negotiate, do whatever he mm -hmm. has to. And Sherlock is just like, yeah, I'll save him. But the other thing I loved about that scene is that if you read the original Conan Doyle stories, I can't remember which one Fred is in, but Fred Fred Porlock is a character in it that um, is one of the Moriarty gang, but he's kind of, like, you mean like halfway the... a traitor. Oh, so is he... He's part of... The original, of... the canon. He's a canon. He's based off a canon character who shows up in one original. Okay, now you said he's part of the Moriarty story. gang, so he's he... part of the Moriarty gang. Mm. He works for actual evil spider Moriarty, um, but he suffers like kind of a an issue of conscience, and so he'll write and give away information about what Moriarty is doing to Sherlock. Um, mm. And he writes he writes Sherlock a letter at the beginning of one mystery and is like, Moriarty's going to do this thing. I just thought you should know. But oh, crap. Now I can't tell you anymore because he knows and he's going to come get me. So 
It's interesting because then in Moriarty the Patriot, Fred is the one caught by Louise. He's writing a letter to Sherlock to be like, oh, God, I have to apply to you for help. you got to save Liam. And so, it, like, that's in there. That nod is in there to the original. That's so cool. So cool. You, are, you are better read on original Sherlock canon than I am that I have read uh, Study in Scarlet, The Final Problem, and a couple other scattered stories and I've seen a fair number of adaptations, but if memory serves, you have read most, if not all, of the original Conan Doyle canon. Yes. So wait, so do you know Milverton's actually canon, too? I, I do know Milverton. I do know Mil- okay, Milverton. Okay. I can't remember the name of the story that he's in, but I know that he's the king of blackmailers and that uh, yes. he was killed in a house fire uh, because yes. uh, they were trying to get rid of the blackmail that he had. So the fire and everything there is also a parallel. Yes, yes. Um, in the original story, yeah, John Watson and Sherlock go in together, uh, and someone else kills Milverton, which is why I was even more surprised. Yeah, that was it, because he was Milverton. killed by the person he was blackmailing. Yes. And one of the things that got me thinking was we saw that Mary was being blackmailed by him. I thought Mary was going to kill him. Yeah, I, yeah. It's interesting how Moriarty the Patriot sort of wound the sign of four in with the whole Milverton narrative and used Mary, the one being blackmailed. I, that it was, it's just very interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, so and, and the whole thing of just, you know, we're made to suspect Mary for an episode or so, and it's the type of thing that, given this show and how things can turn out, you know, we know in classic canon that she is a good person and that she's genuinely in love with John but when it's an adaptation like this and especially one that is so dark I was really on edge for that episode I was like oh man are they gonna break John's heart is she actually you know involved with this or something and I was very relieved that she wasn't because I was like okay good because John deserves good things he's been through a lot the poor guy he's a sweetheart I I feel you on that. I was terrified. I was like, they wouldn't, but I really, I would have believed it if they did. Um, Mm -hmm. Hold on. While we're on the the topic of just like characters that are actually in the canon, uh, there's a story also with Colonel Moran and um, Herder, the guy who makes the guns. He's in there too. It's it's all very interesting. They just, they just have such short little, well, Moran has a whole mystery for himself um, in which Sherlock has to stop him from like trying to snipe someone out of an empty building. Um, but, and Herder is mentioned just as the one who can make the really silent guns. Uh, he's just got like the tiniest cameo, but it's funny that they all became characters in Moriarty the Patriot. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it's very clear that whoever wrote this is actually just intimately familiar with Sherlock Cannon, that they didn't yeah. just, you know, say, oh, I want to do something because Sherlock Holmes is a big name, that they wrote this all with care and the fact that this is one of those stories that is written in such a way to say this could have actually happened in our world in our continuity because in the end john changes history and writes his books in such a way that wraps back to the first scene of the first episode we are shown a modern day london Remember that very first kind of throwaway scene where a boy in just, you know, like some boarding school. Whoopsies. That's just my wife. I'll message her. Go ahead. Carry on. Where a a boy in some boarding school is uh, reading a Sherlock Holmes novel. 
And we see that classic illustration of Moriarty, just the elderly, slightly hunched over one, the the image that in 90% of Sherlock Holmes compilation novels that you will buy, even today, you will find in The Last Problem. And uh, so we sort of knew from the beginning, okay, we get to this end point somehow. And to see it all come to fruition and... Uh, be able to say, yeah, technically the way this story is told that you could say it's true because John changed history or rather the presentation of history. So cool. So cool. Um, just so cool. <laughs> ah, yeah, I had my eye on that first scene for a long time. I was kind of sad that they didn't didn't quite hark back to it blatantly at the end. Yeah, the it would have been nice to have that sort of return to everything and maybe see... I don't know if it would have been like maybe their ancestors or if it would have been really anyone else, but it was still really cool to see. Yes. Oh, God. Okay. And then can we just talk about the Tower Bridge? Oh, yeah. So built. Oh, my God. The Reichenbach fall. They faked us out. They had him like falling off of the, the, the parliament building in front of like the clock that has Big Ben, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and London like, Tower. <sighs> and because uh, that's what we were sort of anticipating this entire time. Because they even had it in the season one opening animations. So this whole time, I'm expecting, all right, we're getting to London Tower. And then, nope, we're going to the bridge. Yeah, we get the Tower Bridge instead. And like. Uh, and then and, and, and Sherlock becomes like, because you know how they're all ravens, right? But then like Sherlock dives after him and he turns into like a little dove and it's just like so gay, but it's like <laughs> beautiful. And I don't, <laughs> I don't. Okay. So the thing that I didn't expect when Sherlock was trying to talk him down and I wanted to punch myself later because Suzaku Kururugi, right? He he stands there and he's just, the, the logic he uses to try to get Liam not to jump is... Pick, make the harder choice for yourself. Live and atone for it that way. And what, I was were like, oh, you, were you? Sherlock, that's great. I did not expect him to say that. I didn't think of that argument. And then afterwards, I was like, have you seen Code Geass? Oh, yeah. No, that's like, literally <laughs> what I was saying. I was like, just wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is it's just freaking Lelouch telling Suzaku to live. We've seen this before. Yeah. Yeah, but it was, it was through, because I think of the window through different characters in a completely different situation and where I expected Sherlock to do like a different kind of save, like a more physical feat or something, kind of like, you know, holding his hand so he doesn't fall off sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I didn't expect like the emotional logic behind it either. And then I was just like, oh, man. And then it didn't. I love that it didn't work on Liam because he thinks about it for a second and then he I love the imagery if he turns over his hand to look at it and he still sees the blood and he's like nope nope there's no atoning for this and he just steps back off the bridge I was like oh my god anyway it was real good it was real good and can we talk about (sighs) okay Albert James Moriarty is my favorite can we talk about how that boy turns himself in because you know there's no more Liam he disappears they dredge the Thames for him and they can't find his body or whatever no one knows where he is so he turns himself into Mycroft and is like all right I guess I'll take the punishment and and just gets locked up in the Tower of London (sighs) and then they pull one last oh by the way so we're gonna get you know some really big you know British historical thing in here and it's just because hey we've already had mother flipping James Bond Jack the Ripper and 
all of this. And we then just have this stinger of, yes, uh, your punishment is that you're going to be overseeing this new special division that doesn't exist technically and reports directly to the queen. It's called MI6. Yeah, for the other brother, for Louis, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, You're going to join MI6 now. <laughs> yeah, just... Why not? Why the heck not? The OST was recently released, and there's a song it called was, MI6. Ah, oh, I didn't know this, yes. the OST was released. Uh, please send me oh. a link or something. Like, I, okay. will, I will buy the physical for that if it's available. I'm going to buy the physical, too. I haven't tracked down where to find it yet, but for now, you know, people yep. are doing their horrible people thing and uploading it on YouTube. But, yep, um, yep. yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. <gasps> um, yeah. What else? Right. I, I cried. I ugly cried so many times. I ugly cried when... Um, you know, I've never really liked Sebastian Moran that much in this anime. I know the fangirls, like, the fandom is obsessed with him, but I never he liked him that much. didn't do much, much to it, be fair. No, but every now and then he has these great speeches, and I bawled ridiculously at, at his speech at the gate when he was trying to open it so that they could get water to put mm, out the Yeah, fire. that that was he a really big moment. Speech. Yeah, and then they all come out, and they, like, that one shot that you see the fire in the background, but then the hands, like, gloved hands mm-hmm, of the nobles mm-hmm. on one side of the bucket. Yeah, and, like, the, the passing of the, the pail. Oh, my Just, God. Oh, yeah, no, that, that was very moving. Honestly, I didn't expect them to go the peaceful route. I thought that they were going to have full-on revolution, but then I remembered after the fact, okay, wait a minute, they're presenting this in a way that it could potentially have been real history, and there is no British revolution, or at least uh, not on the mainland, <laughs> in real history. So, obviously, it did have to go the peaceful route there, but, you know, for a hot second there, I forgot that we were, you know, playing by those rules, and I was like, are they just gonna have a revolution <laughs> yeah i i yeah it seemed like because when the noble was standing behind the fence just kind of like get the heck out of here he was doing that typical thing that all the nobles have done in this mm-hmm. show where they just they're just cartoonishly villainous and i was like oh okay i have been taught that there is no there's no arguing with you we just we just have to kill you uh but then Moran's speech, the whole noblesse oblige thing, like changed his tune. Yeah. There he was opening the gate, and I was like, this is so fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, sorry for my F-bomb. That's our one F-bomb. Yep. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> uh, I, I, hey, and speaking of OSTs, going back to Code Geass, there is a track on one of them called Noblesse Oblige, and just mm-hmm. it's one mm-hmm. of the heavy violin Britannian pieces, and it's just, yes, very good. You know, obviously... We already have had plenty of Code Geass references in the show, but I figure we're going to draw a lot of parallels. And heck, you know, like, let's sort of just trace through a couple parallels while we're at it, because it, I get the feeling that this, the similarity is partially why we enjoy it. Not, It's not that we enjoyed it because it was similar to Code Geass, but we enjoy stuff. We, we enjoy the stuff in Code Geass because that is the type of stuff we enjoy so because Moriarty the Patriot is inherently similar, it makes sense that we enjoy both. Yes, exactly. And just, there was a lot of parallels, that there was the, okay, you have to live, that we enjoy uh, conflicting forces of good, in a sense, I suppose, because you have the revolutionary and the, what would a proper term be of just... Not a traditionalist, that's not the right one, but just um, an institutionalist, maybe, of somebody who tries to create change 
through established channels and institutions, I guess. That's still probably not the right term, but I think you get what I mean. Yes, I get what you mean. You, yeah, you want to change, change it from the inside people. Mm -hmm, yeah, the, the inside versus the revolutionary. And mm -hmm. you very much have that. And I suppose Sherlock is not Suzaku, certainly. That Suzaku was a noble man, and he wanted to change the world. Sherlock, the... The Sherlock in Moriarty the Patriot is still very much the Sherlock of canon. He is a lazy man who just, you know, 99% of the time is working in his own self-interest. He doesn't go out of his way to harm others, certainly, but he doesn't particularly care if there is some inequality in the world. He doesn't care if there's things going wrong that... He will try and solve every mystery that can that comes his way, but he does not feel compelled to join Scotland Yard and right every wrong in the world. Mm, right. Yeah. Uh, there's also the parallel immediately when Sherlock shot Milverton because it surprised me so much. Right. I was almost mad at him for that for a while, but I was thinking, um, don't shoot unless you're prepared to be shot. Mm, uh, ooh, <laughs> hadn't thought about that angle in that line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because then after that scene, I mean, we don't really get to know what Sherlock's thinking was about shooting Milverton until we see him in shackles in front of Mycroft sort of answering for it. But instead, after Sherlock kills Milverton, we see William in the carriage, you know, putting a hand to his face going, oh, my God. I didn't think he could kill a man so easily. Yeah, no, just like he has that quite possibly <laughs> that me. was the fact that Sherlock could kill. I think is Moriarty's single greatest miscalculation in the series. Yes. That yes, it is the one time that we see him say, I was wrong. I did not imagine that this was a possible outcome. That we've, that, you know, thinking about Moriarty's track record, he doesn't actually get one-upped very often. It happens a couple times, but it's because... You know, somebody else was planning even farther ahead than him, and it's not necessarily that he made a gross miscalculation on his own part. This one was, right. I did not, I, I had all the pieces here. This was not somebody planning more than me. This was going, this was somebody going outside what I thought they were capable of. Yeah, and I love it because you're right. He's wrong, but I think that moment he has in the carriage is also a moment of, oh shit, and I was right because he's so freaked out because it's like he'd been planning for Sherlock to kill him at the end the entire time. Yeah. But I think he really truly understands it once he sees Sherlock kill someone else and that's why he's afraid. Yeah, well, it, it, it was twofold. That he yeah. wasn't scared of dying. He was scared of dying too soon because it was, I've accepted I'm going to die. We, we see right. that throughout the last couple episodes, but dang it, if I die now, that means that Everything I've worked for will not come to fruition because I need to die at the right time, in the right place, with the right amount of publicity. If he comes for me tonight, tomorrow, I haven't started the revolution yet, and yeah. nothing will happen. Everything will stay the same. That's what scared him. You're, okay, see, I just, I had to watch that scene a lot of times, and I was like, I don't know if I even follow what you're thinking right now, Liam. Or at least that that's but the impression that I got, that he was scared that he was going to die and that it would mean that his plan failed to launch because 
at that point, he was laying those final pieces of foundation before everything, you know, really started to blow up, literally and figuratively. No, I think that makes total sense. And that would account for why he was so scared, because if he suddenly can't predict Sherlock's movements anymore, then he doesn't have control over his own plan. Yes. As much. So, holy crap. <laughs> uh, boy. And Milverton, we sort of glossed over him, but yeah, in terms of Sherlock Cannon, he gets buried under Moriarty because Moriarty will always be Sherlock's greatest nemesis. But Sherlockians very much regard Milverton as the silver medalist there. Of a, It's a far cry from Moriarty's gold, but if you were to ask who is the second greatest villain of Moriarty, or of Sherlock Cannon, most people will say Milverton, that um, he was considered uh, just very influential, the fact that he represented his own sort of type of supervillain in a very realistic one, somebody who controls the media. And especially in today's day and age, when you have stuff like that in not even just the U.S., but, you know, you see stuff in other countries where things are controlled uh, by the government in the media and everything like that. So uh, hits a little bit extra hard there, but that's part of what made Milverton such a terrifying villain then and now because it's not just, okay, he has a network of criminals who will do his bidding. It is he actually has these channels to the public and he has these people who will do his bidding that don't realize that they are doing his bidding because he's a businessman. He is so creepy. I hated him so much. Oh, yeah. They made him delightfully hateable. Oh, yeah, they did. Um, When he had uh, William and Sherlock in his mansion, and he was just, like, so clearly elated because he thought he was so superior because here he's got the two smartest minds of his Mm. time, and he's blackmailing them. Uh, But then it doesn't work, and he panics. I was just like, That that was a really fun moment. Yeah, Yeah, because very much like with Moriarty, it's rare for him to not be in control, for him to miscalculate, because most of his calculations are based on, okay, if I have leverage via blackmail, you will listen to me. So when he has leverage and, you know, legitimate material to blackmail them with, the fact that they don't listen to him... It's almost an existential crisis for someone who is built on blackmail, the fact that it didn't work. And I love the fact that the information he was missing that blindsided him was that William and Sherlock had met before because that puts so much extra emphasis on how important it was that they even met on the Noatic and then Mm -hmm. again on that train where they solved that mystery because, because... Ugh, when William writes his letter, oh my God, his letter to Sherlock, his love letter, his letter to Sherlock that that says, you know, how important it was that he and Sherlock met because it made him forget his heinous plan for a couple minutes. You know, the series draws attention back to those meetings in that way, but also so does the episode where Milverton dies because if because he didn't know about those. Um, those times that they met and it's like geez when I just watched those episodes I was like of course Sherlock and William James Moriarty have to meet because like that's what the show yeah, is that's, about but that's I didn't what think it was so important be. yeah and yeah. because from the public perspective why would these two ever meet why would right. that even if you know so just on a baseline level why would a commoner like Sherlock Holmes even a renowned commoner 
have reason to cross paths with the noble brothers Moriarty, but then right. also from a uh, from a character level in the public eye, why would Sherlock Holmes, the great detective, ever meet with the Lord of Crime? Ever, because right. naturally, if these two ever meet, one of them's gonna die. They're never gonna hold a pleasant conversation together. These two figures, one of which is a complete enigma to the general public. Right, but they did, and that's what Milverton didn't see. They became friends, yes. and the power uh, of friendship power changed friendship. the world. <laughs> it was. It's anime. It's always it, the power oh, of, of friendship. Course. Yeah, and, and just goodness knows, you've said it several times. This show just delivered material on a silver flippin' platter for shippers <laughs> because goodness knows, goodness knows, prior to this show and prior to BBC's Sherlock, you know, while fanfics may be a modern term, I have to imagine, even way back in the 19th century when the original stuff was coming out, that there have to have been Sherlockians over the years, many, many, many of them, even if there was no internet to act as a database for their works that have envisioned, that have written Sherlock X Moriarty fan fiction. <laughs> it is only natural that these two characters get shipped. You know, just, of course they've been shipped previously, but goodness knows this show just gave people who enjoy shipping them just boatloads of material on a silver platter. Here, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. The ship is called Sherliam. And uh, the meme going around now after William's uh, William's letter to Sherlock, uh, when he uses, uh, he says something like, and I'm paraphrasing, um, if only, you know, all this didn't happen, I would have liked to talk to you and, uh, and we could be true friends, right? But what he says is true friends. Mm -hmm. And so all the shippers are just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, true friends. True friends. They, they were are, roommates. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Roommates. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It is on a silver platter. Um, but uh, even even if not, I think it still works because oh yeah, uh, and it's just great. It the two are very much a yin yang proposition yes. of that Sherlock as a character, and he's quoted as saying it that his mind needs stimulation. That he absolutely hates being bored, and Moriarty, while Moriarty scared Sherlock. Very much so that he evoked a sense of pure paranoia in Sherlock in The Final Problem that you really don't see in other Sherlock stories. Right. But at the same time, that is him at his just sort of most stimulated. It might be overstimulation at that point, but uh, it's the Batman and Joker thing of they do complete each other in this sort of weird conflicting sense yes so i'm really glad that the switzerland thing oh oh so we should talk about that right so oh okay and i want to oh okay let me get my thoughts oh together. yeah that we sorry, went to I'm actual so reichenbach excited. yes but 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 okay so in the uh original stories conan doyle um intended to kill sherlock off in the reichenbach fall story and not bring him back uh had to bring him back later because fans were really mad and, and sherlock, sherlock and uh sorry uh, and conan doyle was going broke <laughs> 
Yes. So he had lots of reasons to bring him back, but for a while he didn't, and everybody thought that was the end of Sherlock Holmes. So when we saw Liam and Sherlock fall in each other's arms off the Tower Bridge, I wasn't expecting to ever find out if they were living or dead. I was expecting it to just be left open-ended like Conan Doyle left it for a while. Um, and because Oh, I, I kind of expected what ending. we got. Yeah, well, then we then we got a little more, which was funny because it was a nod. They were actually by the Reichenbach Fall. Yeah, that was that was funny. what got me because at first, um, we it was this transition. There was this bird, and it was very pretty, and you see it flying towards just this lush green area. And it wasn't until there was a shot cut to a waterfall that it was like, oh wait a minute, we're actually here. Yes. But so, so I'm glad we got that because it goes with what you're saying about how they complete each other. So we kind of learned like the chase is still on. They're still there for each other. You know, Liam's leaving puzzles behind and Shirley is like solving them and chasing him. But so that was cool. But then my wife blew my mind because she's been reading the manga, which I think Viz picked up and they're like a few volumes out. I can't wait to own them all. Oh my God. Um, in the manga, she said, she said the manga continues so i was wondering how the anime was going to end and i was like what do you mean the manga continues she goes well first they left us on a cliffhanger just like the original conan doyle stories for a really long time and there was no like scene in switzerland um so we didn't know if they were alive or now the question is like it continues the question is do we get the scene in switzerland in the manga or is that it is yeah sorry tongue-tied do we get that in the manga, or is it an anime original scene? Um, she made it sound like that was an anime original scene. I just started reading volume one of the manga, and the very freaking opener is like adult Liam actually falling off the actual Reichenbach Fall in Switzerland. So I'm I'm just like so confused all the okay, way. Okay, so they may have changed <laughs> the ending there. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't uh, know. Now, like. Obviously, I found the ending that we got in the anime entirely satisfactory. Obviously, me too. I obviously, loved it. that we we thought it was great. Um, yeah. If you were to tell me that they were gonna continue it, I would be just as happy as well. I would have yeah. no opposition to it. But if their plan is to say, "All right, we're gonna deviate from the manga and wrap it here on our own terms," I would actually kind of be impressed and say, "Okay, well done at ending a." anime in a way that is different from the manga that actually feels like it was done well because as we know and have discussed on previous episodes of this very podcast that in and of itself does not happen every day no so i completely agree with you i think the anime wrapped up really well and i was actually almost mortified when she said the manga continues because i was like why would you but it ended perfectly why would you keep going um but i'm that's why i'm reading it now to find out because i'm frustrated and i'm like Mm, what do you mean yeah uh, yeah, but it, no, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful ending. Um, yeah, very bittersweet. <laughs> Are you ever going to get out of jail, Albert? How are you going to have a death? I feel like there. he has to get out of jail and probably join MI6 or something. I guess, maybe. I know, I, I don't think that, uh non-Megane anymore can do that by himself alone. I love that when he just takes off his glasses and like swoops his hair back so you can see his scar and he's just like, yes, I'm gonna live. Also admittedly, after I watched the episode, I went to Wikipedia to check to see like, all right, how deep did they go? Because I would have fully believed it and gone even crazier if it turned out that the first director of MI6 was named Luis. It is not, that is not the case. I wish it was, <laughs> but, you know, still works. Not going to knock off points, but I 
I would have been frustratingly delighted if they, you know, had that dangling in front of us from day one of, you know, oh, Luis is a common enough name. No one will suspect. And then to actually have that tie in, that would have been something extra cool. But uh, it is what it is. And I still just very much enjoyed that they actually set up, okay, so this is what led to the creation of MI6. And they also have, from a historical perspective, the uh, dissolving of the House of Lords, or at least the uh, equalization of the different branches of the British Parliament. Because that was a very big thing in actual history. Um, I do not know the circumstances that actually led to things becoming more equitable in the branches uh, in Britain, but I have to imagine that for people who actually live there, that this was even more interesting because that is a very real thing where you had the House of Lords and the House of Commons, and goodness knows the House of Lords had way more power. Yes, and so I love that in Moriarty the Patriot, it's Sherlock who gives the Queen the push to, to, to Yeah, that and that move. it was sort of this, you know, backroom deal, and you could believe that because there is the question of why on earth would the House of Lords ever concede their power yeah and it speaks to just sherlock's ability to think on the fly and how badly he wanted this to work out for liam because i don't think that that was sherlock's plan a i mean it obviously wasn't sherlock's plan a because his plan a was kill milverton get myself out of the way so that the lord of crime can keep being robin hood and because i don't want to be the one to kill him um but when that didn't work Mycroft takes him before the queen and Sherlock's like, well, I guess my only choice left is to like pressure her because I cannot waste this chance that Liam has given this country. Yeah. Also, hats off to Mycroft of just, you know, being basically just the shadow lord of all of this and helping both Moriarty and Sherlock and guiding them. And obviously he's the one who helped arrange the audience with the queen and the fact that Mycroft outsmarted Moriarty to a degree and got them sort of cornered and was like, all right, tell me what you're all about. And that led to this incredible episode halfway through the season that we mentioned. But the fact that even though we didn't see much of him, Mycroft has always been portrayed as Sherlock's equal, if not superior, because Sherlock hates Mycroft because he actually normally gets the better of him. But, you know, now that I'm saying all this aloud... Mycroft is more Suzaku than Sherlock. He's because he's yes. the man on the inside, actually. Yes, and because of his whole guilt over the Sharon Ford thing, and the yeah, yeah, you're right. Mycroft can step on me. He's a god. Can we talk about how the last thing he says to his brother is "Don't die, Shirley," and then you ne- he never hears from Sherlock again after the fall and doesn't know if he's alive or not. Poor I, Mycroft. I have to believe, or at least I have to hope that. Sherlock was smart enough to get some sort of coded message to his brother because the two seem just, they're obviously both brilliant. I have mm. to believe that they would have contacted contacted each other somehow covertly to be like, I'm alive, I'm here if you need me for some, you know, emergency reason, or even that maybe, like, I could see Mycroft doing his own private search after the official one closed or... Who knows, yes. Luis, maybe one of the first things of MI6 would be figuring out what happened there, or, or I don't know. 
No, I you know. have a point. No, you're absolutely right. Mycroft probably would figure it out. He's he's too smart. I love how he wasn't surprised either when Albert turned himself in. Everyone else was just like everyone else in that scene was just oh, yeah. staring at him. You Albert, had the like, feeling oh that God, he Mycroft's had that MI6 paperwork drafted up a month ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heck, I would I would not mind a side series of Mycroft of just seeing stuff that he did because we get introduced to him at the end of season one, and he plays a pretty central role in the first half of season two. And we see, all right, he's already one of these just basically pre-MI6 henchmen of people who report directly to the Queen, and they are doing these special assignments that uh, I'd have loved to have seen more stuff that he did you know, one working his way up because it's established that the Sherlock, or rather the Holmes name, that they are not lords. So he had to work himself up to this position. And if memory serves, that's what it was in original canon as well. And we never really get a lot of Mycroft's backstory. So he's just a very fun character that I'd like to see more adaptations for, whether it be in Moriarty the Patriot verse or, you know, some other adaptation. I just think he's a cool character. Yes, I'm a thousand percent with you on that. And I think um, in a lot of the canon, I think Sherlock is ready, willing to admit that Mycroft's thought processes are superior to his. But what Mycroft's problem is that he's he's very lazy and he doesn't like to hit the ground running and actually do the legwork, get in the down and dirty of cases and stuff. He's more the paperwork guy. Yeah. The, the one who's using his, his thoughts and words more than his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it, they're so interesting. I also just realized, so does that make Mycroft Q? Might make Mycroft who? Q by, you know, James Bond MI6 standards. Isn't Q the one that, uh, like, runs the things, or at least, you know, like, the tech and intel stuff, or... Damn, I don't know. Uh, See, because I only know James Bond stuff by, like, pop culture absorbing it. I've never actually watched more than, like, one James Bond movie, and that was a million years ago. Mm. Uh, So I got, like, zero James Bond knowledge in my life. I've only seen a couple of movies myself, so I'm not a uh, reliable authority on that either. But Mm. anyways, yeah, let's just get a – let's turn this into a James Bond series, and we're going to use the same cast as this in the same universe – but branded as James Bond because, hey, we have created James Bond here. That would be so freaking cool, that, actually. That's the continuation that it is the tales of James Bond and the newly formed MI6. That would be so freaking cool because Irene Adler as James Bond is the coolest thing ever, yeah, and just, I would watch the crap that crap out of that. That remains, honestly, one of the biggest revelation moments in the whole series of them turning two very established fictional characters and melding them just flawlessly. Yeah. Cuz that was one where you and I came on the podcast that we can just like <laughs> holy like, crap. Oh did they really just do this? And did they really yeah. just do this in a way that we freaking love? Because yeah. there's so many ways that you could have done this and it'd be like eye rolling and you know that ham-fisted, but for whatever reason it just feels very natural here and you know uh, we have never had a female James Bond, but this one works so well. Yeah, it really does. 
Oh god, everything about this show. Why is it so good? It's like, I guess part of me wishes it was a bit longer. I feel like yeah. the last couple episodes of Moriarty didn't quite reach the heights of the last couple episodes of Gios for me. Uh, not mm. to say that it was bad, but I suppose the last two in particular felt very fast. In total, I think this equaled 48 episodes to Gias's 50. If we had had mm-hmm. two more to get out that clean 50, I think that would have been nice. But at this point, you know, I'm nitpicking. Yeah, I, I think it was very, very quick. On one hand... It's kind of like the doom of those of us who watch and love Code Geass to always be comparing things to it. And it's like nothing ever quite lives up. But I am going to say, honestly, Moriarty the Patriot has come the closest. Yes, for sure. So far. Yeah. It is very good. And I do wish that it was longer. But I think that just anime in general That's, has been shorter yeah. and shorter lately. So we got 24 episodes. That's it. They, I know they had to cut stuff out of the manga. Oh, that's right. It was 24, general, not 48. Oops. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I, I, I gently correct you. Twenty-four. <laughs> I wish it were forty-eight. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was thinking two seasons of twenty-four for some reason. I don't know why. No. But yeah, just, that that explains well, even more why it feels like I wish there was a bit more because it was just about half. So. Yeah. But they used yes. their twenty-four very efficiently. They did. I think they now that I've read because um, I read in the manga now the Scarlet Eyes bit. Um, and I just, I just think the, anim- the people who made the anime were brilliant at expanding where they needed to and also condensing where they needed to and still having it work under the circumstances. I just think they took such care with it. And so I know some of the manga fans were mad that like one really important apparently chapter of the manga wasn't, didn't make it in the anime somewhere around the Whiteley stuff, I think, either mm. just before that or just after that. But, but I don't think anybody can really complain because now I think they're making an audio drama out of that. So it's like it's, you're still going to get surprised. it. But it's so, the story is so complete and so good. Even the bits that feel rushed, it's like you can tell they were trying so hard to make it make sense. And yeah. Make it, and it worked. I think it also, worked. Also, I just realized Whiteley is Euphemia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean. He is the well-intentioned noble who gets cut down in their prime that galvanizes revolutionary forces. Yes, but the big difference that's just kind of like a knife to the gut is that Yuffie didn't choose to be that. Yeah, that... Lelouch's, yes, <laughs> and Whiteley chooses it. Yeah. Whiteley chooses it, which mm-hmm. is like, oh, man. Yeah, Whiteley oh. was Moriarty before Moriarty could be Moriarty. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Whiteley was great, man. That Those are some of the best yeah, episodes. And, and gosh, yeah. just his arc was only three four episodes but it was a very good arc very tragic just seeing him literally lose everything and the whole thing of you know being tempted and he gave into the temptation but at the same time was able to uh, see what he wanted through and while it it's just in some ways the fact that he gave into the temptation and couldn't be that truly pure beacon for everything is very humanizing because Mm. it's not oh he was super easily tempted and uh, it was all fake you look at what happened to him just his family was killed yeah just the the things that were done to push him over the edge were horrific and even then he struggled with himself a fair bit and he did that shows that's a lot yeah, 
Those are those episodes are hard to watch for so many reasons. There was two of them. I'm pretty sure there were only two episodes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, God, what? Oh, I I've never I haven't screamed like out loud at an anime for a long time, and that was the episode that did it. Was when he plunges the knife into the ground, and you think like, oh my God, you breathe this huge sigh of relief, and then nope, it just jabs the knife into the guy's neck, and it's all over, and you're just like blood yeah, splurts everywhere. Very and you're quick, like, oh my very God. dramatic. That was just. <laughs> uh, oh. I don't know if Funimation is going to dub Moriarty. I hope they do, but just that would be a really cool performance to hear that obviously the Japanese voice actor did a incredible job and you could feel the emotion even despite the language barrier. But those are the types of scenes that I like to hear in English because obviously there's a lot more impact when you can fully comprehend it. Oh my God. I, I, this, I, I'm, this is weird for me to say as a voice actor now that has done some ADR dubbing in English, but I love watching the subs. I always will watch the subs first. It's hard to get me to watch an English dub, but I feel like it's Sherlock. It's designed to be heard in English on some level. Like I want to hear the accent differences between the lower class and the upper class in English. I want to see that done. I, I, mm. I, I, oh my God, you can bet that I will be hanging on every single episode if and when an English dub comes out. Yep, <laughs> so, yep. Rewatch, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Ugh. And that's, that's, that's just about the hour. I can't believe we were talking about this for an hour, but then again, I can. Is there anything we haven't talked about? I suppose anything? if you... Hmm, if you could script the continuation of Moriarty the Patriot, what would you have the continuation be? Because obviously we are starting with Sherlock and Holmes, or sorry, um, with Sherlock and Moriarty abroad. Do you keep them abroad and have them doing things over in Switzerland, or do you have them brought back to London? I like your MI6 idea, so I'd want to follow like the MI6 people, but now and then go back to what Sherliam is doing. I'd, I'd kind of want to keep them abroad and and watch Liam slowly start making up for his mistakes, and I want to see him making the hard mm. choice of living and see how that goes for him, and I want to see him help people again because he obviously loves helping people, but helping people with Sherlock there to help him yeah. so that there's no crime. And then they do time. something that brings him back to London, but just for the finale. Yes, yes, that would be cool. That would be really cool. Well, yeah, you're right. We are near the hour. Uh, I feel like we could go a little bit longer, but I don't want to push it, and I know that you're usually very busy. So before we go, do you have anything new or different? Because it's been a couple weeks. You took a vacation. I hope you enjoyed your time off. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, not yet. I'm waiting on some things to, to come out of the woodwork. That Nothing yet is very exciting, fun. though. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I just, I just, I'm back in the booth after two plus weeks vacation and I just, I want to be working. I mm. am so ready to work. <laughs> it's, it's hard to work. I did some auditions on the go, but like, I obviously didn't have my booth when yeah, I was Yeah, not traveling. the same, so not the I same. Just, like, no, please just give me all the work. I'm ready to stand in front of a microphone for hours. Thank you. Yes. And on my <laughs> end, I'm going to be actually starting the script adaptation for Fifth Element this weekend, most likely, because uh, the show is about four weeks away. It's going to be on the 31st, so I have time, but uh, it's right about now that I need to really start actually working on that. So probably spending a fair number of hours on that this weekend, but I'm looking forward to it. And other than that, glad to have you back, Franji. Definitely watch a couple of uh, new premieres 
from this past week, if you get a chance, between any recording that you're doing. And as always, thank you all for listening in. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe, all that jazz for digital entertainment, digital era entertainment, both here on Twitch and YouTube and Twitter and, you know, all them wonderful social media places. But until next time, stay safe, stay sane, get your Fauci ouchie, and we will be back next week with more on Digital Era Twitch. Mm-hmm.